Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We've got a great show for you this week. Lots of things to talk about. Uh, we have our senior editor for all things West Coast and reviews, James Riswick. He's been driving all sorts of things, things like the Lexus GX, the Defender 130, the Jaguar F-Pace, and the Hyundai Kona. We'll try to get to as much as that as we can. You've heard me talk about our long-term Subaru WRX for the last few weeks. I have a mini update on that. It's still orange. I can tell you that. Uh, our new section is going to consist mainly of station wagons. So, hey, that's kind of cool. If you have a spend my money, please send that to podcast at autoblog.com. And as always, if you enjoy the show, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get the show. James, welcome aboard. Thank you. The appropriate appropriate uh, terminology there is, uh, you know, I'm in Southern California here. And uh, I haven't needed a boat, but some have. Um and and I gotta tell you, so uh, I have kind of the perfect car for it at the time. I, at this time, I have the Land Rover Defender 130 Outbound. This is the most off-road, overlanding version of the Land Rover Defender. Okay, so it's really long, so its departure angle does kind of suffer as a result. However, this would be the three-row Defender. That's like family-friendly three-row, except the third row is chucked in favor, in favor of having the most cargo capacity possible. It's still a Defender, so it can, you know, jack up the ride height. It has the all-terrain tires. So if there was ever a, I need to survive the atmospheric river, I got the car for it. So I, I've been, it's perfect, perfect timing. The BMW X1 that's replacing it on Friday, it, it would not have been up to the task. Not that I'm like fording overflowing rivers and mud flows or anything, but still, perfect timing. Historic storms is how they've been uh, characterizing it. So whenever they say historic, that usually means like a crazy amount of rain, I guess. Oh, yeah. So this thing is, this is impressive. It's very rare that when we get something in the press fleet, we actually get to sort of test things like, you know, departure angles and weighting depth. I don't know if you had, had to use the weighting depth yet. Well, no, because you don't want to be running into, you know, the, 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 the massively overflowing rivers. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it is an appropriate car. I thankfully was able to, uh, I don't, I have a very cool bike rack that I, uh, for, for, um, for my electric bike. And uh, I don't really have a vehicle that has a trailer hitch on it. And test cars don't have them. This one does. So I was able to, you know, set up the bike rack and use use that element. It is the kind of the outdoor adventure uh, model. Uh, so I was able to sneak that in on Saturday before the atmospheric river arrived. Uh, and then I, then I unplugged that. And uh, then it was just, you know, making sure the windshield wipers worked. And they do. So nice. lots of outdoor adventures. To be sure, this thing is monstrous. As I look at the pictures, I when you said outbound, I actually had to look up and like, what the hell is the outbound here? Uh -huh. It's there you go. It's it's definitely pretty beastly. And mm -hmm. uh, I got so some pretty cool got some pretty cool pictures of it with the bike on it because the rack and my bike actually matches this thing perfectly. It's matte gray with gloss black trim. Well, the rack's gloss black and the bike's matte gray so it's like it looks like i went out of my way to match it all even though i didn't um but i i, I took the photos of it 
on the surrounding mountains that you know, after the winter that's very green and it was cloudy and it looked like Scotland. It was very, it was just absolutely perfect. So I was uh, pretty pleased with those. And yes, yeah, it's, it's a matte gray. And uh, it's because it's the third, it's the three row Defender, but the, the, the 110 has a third row too available, but it, yeah, please. Um, so you remove the third row. Well, you don't really need those windows back there. So they actually cover them up with body panels uh, that are painted. So there's kind of like this work van vibe <laughs> at the back. It's kind of cool. And then like they that. do mount this, this fold down ladder, which is available in other defenders, but it's there. And this gear locker on the side. I, I don't know. Do you know what a gear locker is for outside the car? Whatever you might want to put in there, your sandals, maybe your kazoo. I, don't I can't know. go in the car. I can only think of poopy diapers. Honestly, I, that, that's, that's the only really good idea. But otherwise, it's just slapped on the side of the car, creating noise and drag. Side know. note, do you know a really good place to put poopy diapers is the like sort of trunk in the bed of the Honda Ridgeline. So oh, if sure. you kind of pull it up, you don't want that. It's a pretty tight cabin. Put it in there. It's outside. It's covered. It's everything you need. Mm -hmm. Roof carriers as well. Roof carriers as well. Yes, that's yeah, true. That that's true. Once. Yep, needs to needed to take care of that advantage. Um, so yeah, this thing's really cool. I dig it. Uh, the the off, interesting like driving a Defender with like all terrain tires, like hard sidewalls. You'd think that's kind of like a normal for thing for the Defender, but. No, not not actually. Uh, so it does make the ride a little worse. But that thing, the Defender is so good. It is really so very good. And this is a, an unusual version. Unfortunately, because it's the outbound, I don't get to test the three rows, the third row seat of the 130. I haven't done that yet. I, I can't do a luggage test on it because normally three row vehicles I test behind the third row. Like, duh, all of my bags are going to fit in this humongous cargo area of a 130 outbound. Um, so maybe I'll try and get that in at another time, but as it, it looks cool, it's great to drive, love the interior functionality, interior is lovely. And it's also a good uh, time because, uh, hey, I just drove the Lexus GX. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, that's an excellent transition. Uh, let's talk about that. That is, you know, looking at just sort of the auto journalism like socials which is could not be less you know representative of what mainstream consumers think about cars frankly at times but the gx really just lit up i think it was last week when you were on that i mean people had generally people really liked it but people were not shy about their opinions about it that's for sure yeah and i mean talk about the defender i mean it's the closest it's I mean, it, there's not many. The Defender is kind of like the luxury off, like real off-roader. So it's it's above a Wrangler or Bronco in that respect. And that's what the GX is as, as well. Specifically the Overtrail version, which has the all-terrain tires and it does have uh, the electronic um, stabilizer bar disconnect, which uh, that's, that's a long uh, explanation, locking rear diff. Um, it also does not have a third row, this overtrail version, which is the coolest looking one. It has the raised roof rails. It's like the one that if you looked at all the all the GXs, you probably go, yeah, I want that one. But it's five passenger only. And unlike this Defender 130 outbound, like 
that's just a special version. You could get a lot of the outbound stuff on other defenders. That is not the case with the GX Overtrail. You can't get EKDSS. That's the stability. That's the stabilizer bar thing, or the the locking diff, or the alter the proper all-terrain tires, the higher roof, the, like the more functional roof rails. Um, that's five passenger only. And you know, Lexus said that. You know, they, they, they viewed it as, you know, this is the, the, uh, the one kind of envisioned for overlanders. And they found that most overlanders who were currently using, who currently had GXs, um, of which it was a popular car, because they sold them for 14 years. And despite the kind of Kardashian land grocery getter vibe of it, it actually is a very capable vehicle. Um, so most of the overlanders who bought that, they hauled out the third row anyway. So they're like, okay, well, we're going to not put it in the overtrail and we're going to give you five extra cubic feet of space for your gear. Logical. However, um, 30% of GX's Lexus figures are going to be um, overtrails, which works out to like over 10,000 cars. How many of those buyers do you think are overlanders? It's a good question. 15%? I tell you. Right? If that, most people, because it looks cool, right? But at least give them the option of the third row. And, I do, and they said, yeah, we've already had that feedback from potential customers. And uh, the marketing guy, when I made that observation, the marketing guy like perked up and like introduced myself and like wanted to know more about that thought. And uh, I, you get the impression that that fact will there'll be a seven row or seven row, geez, uh, seven passenger one uh, in not not too long. Um, okay. So that's something to keep in mind. I'm so what. You know, really, I think piques my interest is, and you used a line in your review called, uh, it's not insane to call it the Lexus Land Cruiser or something, because obviously they share some underpinnings mm. and there's a pretty good resemblance to the two. Oh, yeah. Both of these are, I think, among the SUVs I'm most excited about driving this year. Mm -hmm. You know, every year we see what's coming out and these two definitely are at the, at the top of the list. You have not driven the Land Cruiser yet, but do you have a sneaking suspicion as to which one you might prefer. So one, it's very smart for them to bring out the Lexus first because then you don't have the, oh, this is just a rebadged Land Cruiser, right? So Land Cruiser comes out second. They, they have a very different face to them, but you look at the side of the car, they are the same, same body. And they have, you know, so much is shared. It really is like the, old Land Cruiser and the Lexus LX. The, the, the similarities are very strong. Personally, I think the GX looks better. Um, it's just like, I, I think this is just a classic SUV. I think it's one of the best looking SUVs ever. <laughs> I think it looks, it's so, it's both, it's both rugged and very handsome. It look, it kind of like a Defender. It kind of has that, um, I don't know, like well-dressed person in the, I don't know, rugged thing going on. It just, it, you, you know what, when you see it with the Defender and the GX has that same thing, whether it's the Overtrail or even just the, the, 
the more luxury version, literally called the luxury or the premium. Um, uh, uh, the interior, kind of the same too. Mm. Uh, that's one of the lower points of it is even if like the quality is, is okay in places, it doesn't look that luxurious, um, especially compared to the Land Cruiser. Um, key differences between them is what's under hood. So the Land Cruiser is the four-cylinder hybrid. That engine is not available on the GX. That's available with um, the turbocharged um, V6, whose facts and figures I can't actually find at the moment. Where are they? Hello. Right. Uh, it has it's the 3.4 liter twin turbo V6, good for 349 horsepower and 479 pound feet of torque. Um, for those of you who are sadly lamenting, oh, there's no more V8. Yeah, okay, that's that the hill you're dying on made only 301 horsepower and 329 torques. Um, so that's not very good. It just made a lot of roaring noise and was incredibly slow. Uh, it also had a six-speed automatic and could only tow 6,500 pounds. The new one, 9,000 pounds. Uh, so huge performance upgrade. Um, there is eventually going to be a hybrid. Uh, we don't really know, but presumably it'll be more than the Land Cruisers, um, which might be good because fuel economy is terrible. Uh, it's 17 miles per gallon combined. The old... V8 was 16. Um, the, the Defender 130 outbound I have out there is also 17, but it's, 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 it is a, it, it's more powerful and it's attached to a much bigger vehicle. Um, the 110, the Defender 110 is like um, 20 combined, which is a big difference. I, I don't, I regret not noticing the fuel economy until after I left the event. I was talking to the engineers about a lot of the suspension stuff, so I did not, unfortunately, this is on me, did not get the opportunity to ask them about the fuel economy specifically, or well, what's the deal? Uh, there's a lot of things that would indicate it should be more fuel efficient than it is, but dude, it really isn't at all. That's a main problem with this GX um, compared to, say, the Lexus TX, which is effectively the new Lexus three-row family hauler, allowing the GX to be, you know, the off-roader it always has been and doesn't need to be the, the suburbanite going thing um, the old one wasn't really good at. Um, kind of split the three-row market um, there. The other thing is uh, third-row space. It's actually decent for people, uh, for luxury vehicles, which isn't saying much. But the third row, but the space behind it is LOL. Like no bags can fit. Like my, my backpack barely fit back there. Um, <clears throat> so that, that's another thing to, that compares to other like more crossover luxury vehicles. Okay. Yeah, it's, I think this is a pretty interesting entry for Lexus, the approach they took. I mean, the whole repositioning of, you know, this and of course the Land Cruiser, it's a little bit of a risk, you know, because then you've got the Forerunner, which we expect to see a new version of that somewhat soon, somewhat in the same field here, you know. So it's, I, I'm somewhat a little surprised. I think it's a big risk how they're sort of positioning these different, you know, 
off-roading, off-road styled uh, crossovers and SUVs. Uh, but to go back to something you said earlier about the classic design, when I'm looking at this Lexus, I almost think, man, that GX kind of reminds me of the old XJ Cherokee a little bit. It's got that classic like three box like design. It's squared off and, you know, back from like the, you know, the 90s and even the 80s. So I think from a design perspective, they, they appear to have just totally nailed it. Um, so I, I'm excited to drive it. Yeah. And how many times have we said that about Lexus? Yeah, that's a good point, too. I think it's very rare that we're as excited about sort of the Lexus counterpart as like maybe the original Toyota version of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think they got the, you know, not to harp on the styling too much, but again, I didn't drive it. I think they kind of have the right blend here of giving it maybe purposefully that Land Cruiser vibe, but still having some of the Lexus stuff in there too. Cause I mean, they've Lexus with their spindle grills and angles coming at you from every well angle. They're a lot to take. And I think most people have decided they like them because people like Lexus. They like the luxury and premium image that it conveys. But yeah, it's a bit of a it's a polarizing design. And I think this one, you know, this new GX really strikes the right kind of balance. So well, it's all it's also important to note that, you know, like that last GX, which was sold for 14 years, yeah. had multiple faces put on it. And like the the signature Lexus spindle grill was never meant for that vehicle. And anytime they put that stupid thing on anything, be it just like a, a rebodied uh, thing, like the, the GX was a Land Cruiser Prado and you know the, the LX to the Land Cruiser, like it just didn't work. You're putting a face on something that was never really meant for it. But, you know, it works really well on the LC because yeah. that was meant to have it from the beginning. And this thing, which is different, it is not. It is. A, it is not the Lexus signature spindle grill. It is kind of the evolution of it. It is. It is related, but still new and different. And it just works because it was meant for it from the very beginning. And it's not. It's also not overwrought. It's like just the right size. Um, anyway, I, I I think it's a very successful design, and it's a very appealing incapable um vehicle um it's not just the looks you know we could go into the weeds a lot about the all what makes it so good off-road but it it is <laughs> certainly i believe you i believe you it's been a minute now shifting gears over to the jaguar f-pace we're kind of doing some british stuff here that's kind of a good good angle here for this podcast I have not driven an F-Pace in almost two years as I'm looking at some of my own clips. It's, they're not super abundant in the press fleet for starters. And the last one I drove was the SVR with the 5 liter V8, 550 horsepower. So this was an absolute rocket ship. I actually drove it almost exactly two years ago. It was kind of one of those winter drives. Uh, now, what, which version of this F-Pace have you driven? So before this, the only time I had driven the F-Pace was at the first drive launch in Montenegro in 2016. Oh, okay. I think Jeremy Korsniewski was on that one. He did. And it was a long, <laughs> that's a long time ago, right? It really was. And also, it was like one of the best press trips I've ever been on. It was really interesting. Mont like, when are you going to go to Montenegro? It was really cool. Um, but it's not exactly experiencing the car like mm -hmm. in anything resembling a normal environment. And I never drove it again. 
It's wow. kind of unfortunate. Um, eight years later, it comes back yeah. to your fleet. And despite being eight years old, this car has held up very well. Very well. Uh, they had, they redid the interior at some point, both to make it nicer, which it did need. The, the fanciest versions of the F-Pace originally were covered in leather or pleather and looked very nice. The bottom ones were not. The new one has the latest PIVI Pro touchscreen infotainment system. Same thing that's in that Defender, and it's perfectly fine. It, it works, and that's all you can hope for. But the interior quality is excellent, and I tell you, it is so enjoyable to drive. I don't think we talk about this enough. The Porsche of Macan is very, you know, called out for being like exceptional to drive, period, not just for an SUV. This is in that same league, at least the, the P400 version that I was driving um, with, the, with the big 395 horsepower um, engine in it. it. It is genuinely enjoyable to drive, excellent steering. And really, I think it needs to be in the conversation more with the Macan. It certainly is similarly priced, but it's bigger. So all the like the, the, the Macan's major downside is it's it's small. Well, this isn't. This is bigger, it's appropriate bigger. It looks, it still looks great. They tweaked the design slightly over the years for the better. And I really enjoyed this car. Awesome seats. It has these like razor thin sport seats that I, I don't know for sure, but sure seems like they came out of an F, F type. Um, at least they look like them. Um, like really, really like firm sport seats. And I think they're because they're thinner, they probably free up back seat space too. Um, but I, I kind of got it just like, okay, let's see how this thing held up. And it's really held up well. I think it deserves more attention than it gets even eight years later. Um, it's it's really good. I like pleasant surprise, and it is one that, in terms of SUVs, I, I would happily <laughs> drive this one every day. Um, yeah, Re really, really a nice, pleasant surprise, and uh, yeah, it's a good one. I honestly, I've always had kind of a soft spot for the F Pace. We had a deep blue one that was almost purple uh probably back in i think that was 17 18 it was a long termer it was quite good we didn't really have any major issues with it as i think back i took it to all sorts of things the family rolled around in it uh the dog was in it all the time she was a puppy back then and you know other than the fact that you've got to jump into narrow seats which is not ideal for a golden retriever it um it was reasonably comfortable. I think it looks good too. I think they, um, I think this was part of uh, Ian Callum when he was still running things. That was part of his design studio back then. Um, and it, it's always had a good character. I think comparing it to like Porsche is a, is a good one because it, it has a unique, you know, again, character spirit that frankly, I don't always get when I drive like a German crossover in the segment. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not just saying that because I drove the SVR one. I've always thought this about the, the F pace interior is pretty good. I again, it's been two years, so I'd be curious to see what they've done to it. You know, some of the upgrades you mentioned. I never the infotainment always is a work in progress. So you get Pivi Pro in there, perhaps that gets things a little more tolerable. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's a it's a muscle SUV in many ways too. Whether it just has that like spirit of you know of Jaguar, which is a total cliche, but 
-hmm. Not every brand can make an SUV and make it feel like some of their other things that maybe you might rather drive if given your druthers. And I think they did that with the F-Pace. So. Yeah, I'd be curious to drive the, I now want to drive the um, the, the four-cylinder uh, version, see what it's like with 246 and 269 pound-feet of torque. Um, the other thing about the F-Pace is it's a different, it's a different size. So it's not really, it's bigger than the compact SUVs, the X3s and all that, but it's not as big as an X5. Its closest comparison is kind of a Lexus RX. Mm-hmm. I actually had an RX before it, and not surprisingly, I like the Jaguar more. But in terms of like the size, that's its kind of closest um, comparison, um, which like sometimes that makes it hard to compare to things, but also it puts it in, in a unique position that might be appealing to more people. Oh, yeah. Myself included. I think many car buyers shop in ways that as auto journalists, we don't always you know think of. We try to well, this fits in this segment. Here's the C class. Here's the E class. I think car buyers oftentimes are like, well, I, I like this as a crossover. Hmm, maybe the sedan might fit what I'm looking at. Naturally, I want to consider a Wrangler because, you know, everybody mm-hmm. thinks they want to drive a Jeep Wrangler. So sometimes these tweener segments, I think, can be, you know, very spot on. So, you know, cool. BF pace. That's definitely a. Uh, a back to the back to the future one there. So, all right, let's talk uh, Hyundai Kona. One more from Fleet de Riswick. Um, <laughs> Kona. Yeah, the N line, uh, the N line, which has the little turbo engine in it, and it has the racier styling, which is okay. pretty racy. It looks pretty cool, and uh, has this weird split spoiler in the back, and uh, it's not the you know, full on N version. Not that they have that, not that that's back yet, um, but it looks pretty wild. Um, it is mechanic. It is the same mechanical, it is the same platform as the Kia Nero, which I happen to own. And uh, you can really tell when they're set next to each other, they're like yeah. exactly the same size. The cargo area, virtually identical, back seat space, the same. Uh, because the Kona is newer, it has the newer version of the Hyundai Kia infotainment system. It looks nicer. I think it's worse to use, specifically the radio. They've added a bunch of complications that have made it annoying, uh, whereas they kind of nailed it before. Um, some of the anyway, there's like some little things that are I, I think it's worse. Um, but the rest of the interior is neat. A very um, they move the they has the same shifter as the Ionic Five and Six, so it's the little doohickey underneath, like attached to the wheel. Um, so that frees up the a whole the whole center console for storage. Um, that's very clever. Uh, yeah, back seat. the The new Kona is much bigger than the old one. So the old one was kind of like the quintessential subcompact one, but then everything got a lot bigger to the point we started having to come up with a new term for these things. The mid, we call them mid compacts, but now everything, including the Kona has caught up to the mid compact. So huzzah, they're subcompacts again. Um, but that means that it's actually kind of family friendly. Like this backseat's like genuinely big, kind of like the Nero, 
trunk, one of the bigger uh, in the segment. Really, only like the VW Taos and the Bronco Sport are bigger. The 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 Seltos is just a little bit bigger, and um, yeah. So, um, enjoy enjoyable little car to drive. Uh, fuel economy wasn't that great. I was getting like twenty five out of it, which it's a it's a little subcompact SUV. Probably should be getting closer to thirty. I I think the turbo is probably not helping it. Um, you, you want to use it, and that's going to end up with some bad fuel economy. Um, but just an enjoyable little runabout. Uh, I, I found it. That size is really good. I, I I think it's smart. It's one reason we like our Nero because it's smaller. We live in we live in the burbs, but the parking spots are still small, easier to maneuver, uh, and just enough interior space. So you know, I similar thing with the uh, the Kona. Looks like you were able to wedge four pretty large uh, bags in there, suitcases uh, in the back. How many? Uh, five, five, and five. Okay. Two check-ins, three carry-ons, one like duffel bag. That's pretty remarkable for what's you know not an extremely large vehicle. Mm -hmm. So check out James's luggage tests, not just for the Kona, but for all of the things that come through. Um, what fits, what doesn't? Who's to say? All right, so that's the Kona. Let's move on over to the WRX. Joined the fleet uh, in January. It went to road test editor, Zach Palmer. Uh, after a few weeks, he traded over to me. And this is my, actually, this is, I believe, my final full week in it. So I just gassed it up. So whoever gets it next, well, I don't know what I'm gonna do this weekend. Maybe I'll, I'll need to fuel it up again. But I've enjoyed my like almost a month in it. I, uh, it's interesting when you drive, especially a long-termer, sometimes those posts can kind of write themselves because in our long-term, blog, if you will, you can kind of write whatever you want, you know, whether it's what you did with it, whether you go on some epic road trip or, you know, do a luggage test or whatnot, or maybe something, you know, misfortune, you know, also lands your way, which check out our Toyota Sienna. Uh, if you want to look at some misfortune that's befallen that vehicle. Um, but I've liked it. It's bright orange. Uh, it's got the six speed manual. It's got that Boxer 4 Turbo. It's pretty powerful. It's everything I've always kind of hoped and wanted the WRX to be. We've talked talked about it a bit, the styling. It's gotten a little kind of clunkier. The wheel wells stick out. There's a lot of plastic going on on the sides and the back. Zach and I generally like that, although I don't think I like it quite as enthusiastic as he does. But with that big hood scoop, you got the LED lights. I mean, it's a fun looking car. You pull up. And people are looking at you like, who is this dude? You just don't see a lot of WRXs on the road, especially in Michigan, but really anywhere. I mean, it's it's a lot to handle. I keep coming back to the uh, the notion that I'm going to be really bored, especially because my next vehicle coming in is I think I'm the, I'm the closer for the Sienna. It's heading out, so I will be likely the final editor in in the into it. Uh, and that's the opposite of driving a WRX, but. It's a lot of fun. There's a CD player. I've gotten reacquainted with the Wallflowers, Counting Crows, all my old I, CDs. I believe that was my demand. I, I think I demanded that, even though I will never well see the car, let alone drive it. Um, but yeah, I insisted that you get the aftermarket CD player because if you're going to offer it, we should ask for that. I think so. I completely agree. It's In fact, frankly, I'm, 
I'm going to write a note right now to tell Zach that he needs somebody needs to do that post like immediately. The CD player one? Yes, yes. We got it for a reason. That oh, needs yeah, to yeah. be a post by itself. That is, yeah. I think that's a, that's a good idea. I think I, honestly, it's been in my backlog of things I may do. I, I've been kind of reticent to sign on for that with Zach because, you know, hey, there's a lot of different things on my plate. But I also feel like I'm uniquely qualified to do it because I actually have a case logic CD sleeve. You know, mm -hmm. I remember when CDs were like, how do you listen to music in your car? So we'll see. Uh, I think most of the staff is Gen X to Gen Y, but you get into Gen Y and they, there weren't CD players in cars. So uh, yeah, it's been pretty really? recent that they haven't been in it. My, my, my last two cars had them. Our, our 2013 X5 and Allroad both had CD players. Oh, that's a very, that's a tribute to the X5 for having and, that. And in the in the, the all road, it made a difference because it had the uh, Harman Kardon or no Bang and Olufsen sound system, which was exceptional. Mm -hmm. And the sound quality difference between your phone and CDs was definitely yeah. noticeable, and it made a big difference. That that sound system was great. So yeah, I I uh, it, it is a little sad. If you want sound quality, it's still like kind of the way to go. Um, I, nice I would, one one thing about the the older cars is you can you can still get a CD player. Okay, well, it's a different vibe too versus like Spotify or satellite radio or you know talk radio because you mm -hmm. just ideally you put in a CD in and you I like to listen to it all the way through you know and when you're working a manual transmission perhaps you have a nice hot cup of coffee it's it's a very, uh, you know, cathartic way to approach driving. You know, you're yeah. very, that's what you're doing. So, yeah, that, that said, I, I still have transferred most of my like favorites in high, high def to my phone and, no. have, well, and yeah. have purchased many albums on iTunes over the years. I, st I still buy music. I don't actually have a Spotify account. Okay. Wow. I, I listen to my own stuff or uh, Sirius both in-car Sirius and then through the app. There's a lot mm -hmm. of extra channels on the Sirius app. It's really good. I think people should yeah. give it more of a chance. I kind of like the, it's more, it's more curated by, by actual human beings as mm -hmm. opposed to some algorithm that just puts you into your own little silo, listening to your own stuff. So I, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I, I like both the app and I listen to it at all, like from just around the house. We have it on the various channels, both like the actual channels that are in your car and then like tons of bonus channels. So pretty that cool. That was one of the, I think the mind blowing things when I first got into press cars and frankly, Sirius and XM were still in their early days. I was like, this is fantastic. You get like, you know, it, back then Sirius and XM hadn't quite merged. They then merged. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, Ford's had one and Chevy's had something else and Honda yeah, you know, it was it was definitely a different thing. I remember writing that story about the merger, the Sirius XM merger. So, mm -hmm. well, and, and I always liked XM better. I kind of liked the channels a little bit better, and they carried baseball. Mm -hmm. That was the big thing because now I was listening to in Los Angeles Blue Jays games happening yeah. throughout the country and in Canada, which would like blew my mind. Like that was mm -hmm. so cool. Um, and that was such a big deal because of that. I actually had a portable Sirius player. That I would care, and I would plug in using an using an aux jack into press cars that didn't have XM, 
or my own Z3. I tell you so, what, listening to yeah. sports on satellite radio is definitely one of the, uh, that's one of the joys of it, if you will. I, you know, during, you know, baseball season in particular, but you can even get spring training games, you know, on there, which is cool. Yeah. The, uh, the MLB app d- d- also that, will do that. Made yeah. it bad. Move, made it defunct, but you know, uh, anyway. Pitchers and catchers report in about two weeks, if that. So baseball season's coming. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is our long-term WRX. Uh, let's move on to a little bit of news here. We, uh, frankly, the I think the coolest bit of eye candy on site this week was the 2025 uh, RS6 GT. Byron wrote the headline, Ultra Limited, which is true. Just 85 are coming to the United States. It is intense. It kind of is the spiritual successor to the GTO concept that was, yes, an Audi, not a Pontiac, not a Ferrari uh, from a little while ago. And it's, it's pretty powerful. It's, uh, we're talking 630 horsepower, 621 stateside. I guess we lose nine as you make the voyage across the Atlantic. And it just it looks like some of those great 1980s rally cars. It's got the right color scheme. It's low to the ground. It's, it's everything you want in the wagon, a sport wagon, a speed wagon, and you will not likely get it. Just 85 of these things are coming here. But kind of reminds me of Transformers a little bit that I used to have back in the day. Yeah, that kind of looks like a running shoe. Um, <laughs> multicolored A6 running shoe. Okay. I don't really like it. How I come? kind of like the appeal of wagons is kind of the sleeper notion of them. Like the RS6 is a really cool looking car, but it like... It looks neat and black or like a dark red and like it's kind of, but when you're just like it's all like flamboyant and graphics on the side i, I don't it i don't know it looks like a safety car which maybe safety people car. would like but I, not 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 my wagon cup of tea it's like many of those throwback uniforms that you'll see different sporting teams wear and it's like you may you may love it you may hate it but they're definitely doing something different here and there's definitely some beauty in the eye of the beholder. Uh, I will reference, this is out of nowhere, but it's the first thing that came to mind, the Green Bay Packers throwback jerseys. Take a look at those things, and that may be comparable to these. Uh, But let's talk about wagons. You have compiled a list of, what is it, the most influential, your favorite? Coolest wagons of the 21st century. Okay, it's not like those President's Day lists where there's like 15 different studies, then you rank them and, you know, it changes year to year. Douglas Brinkley weighs in. This is is Rizwick's list of wagons, okay? Yeah. There's been some good ones. Yeah, so again, this would be those sold in the United States. This is not global. Because obviously, like the V10 powered M5 wagon, and like there was a C63 wagon, the Golf R wagon, Focus ST wagon, like a lot of the like various Audi RS. Like, talk about the RS6 Avant. There have been previous ones, we just never got them. Um, so there's a lot that haven't been sold here. Uh, they are not, they're not this topic of this. These would be those that are sold in the United States and again of the 21st century. There's a handful of them in the 90s, but, but mostly we're st- we were still waiting for the station wagons to become extinct. Your Country Squire, Vista Cruisers, all those things that kind of, to this day, make the wagon kind of like this uncool thing. But for the most part, wagons 
in this century have been cool. Like even I, it even things like a Buick Regal Tour X, you know, not a bad uh, wagon. I saw right? it revealed is in it, Warren. It was cool. Is it cool? I don't know, but is it cooler than like comparable SUV? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but admittedly, most of the things on my list would be like the high power, higher powered performance versions. Um, you know, every Mercedes E63 AMG, for instance, because that's been the most. I put that number one. My my list is not really in order, with the exception of the E63, because it's been there for the entire time. It's had multiple generations. It's had staying power, even though it was for most of its time, at least, just uh, custom order only. They didn't just have them at the dealer. You have to go in and say, I want one of these, please, and here's some money for it. Um, so it, it, it's kind of like the quintessential high-powered wagon is the E63. Not, not, and it has a third-row seat. So I think if we're doing, you know, coolest three-row vehicles it's it's definitely high up that might be on the top of the list too um you want to run through your list real quick maybe uh sure give everybody Um, what's on there so the turn of the century e39 bmw 5 series uh you know you couldn't get the v8 with the manual that was kind of sad but it's still an e39 it's one of the it's like the quintessential sport sedan so isn't it ergo the quintessential sport wagon uh of course uh, the CTSV wagon. That thing was nuts. The fact that Cadillac made the CTSV at all, really, given that it's like the brand of vast land yachts, right? That everybody, like elegant American classic luxury, yada, yada. Here's something to beat an M5. That's kind of nutty. And then hell, let's just make a wagon too. That's That's like, the thing was, as much as we loved it as automotive enthusiasts, even we would went, really? You're you're doing this? This is that's that's interesting. That seems crazy. And it was crazy. So yay for that existing. Um there's a lot of things on here. Uh Dodge Magnum, of course. Um, you know, it the today's Charger and Challenger are going away. Finally, after you know, all basically existing for most of the century. Um and yet, in the beginning, there was another member, and the Chrysler 300. There was another member. That was the wag. That was the Magnum, and that was the that was the rear-wheel drive, big-powered wagon from Dodge. And it went away. It never got like a, the the major refresh that the Charger and the Challenger and the 300 got. It just it just died, which is really sad. Because imagine today. We would have like the Magnum SRT 392 Scat Pack Wide Body Daytona Ultimate Edition, yada, yada, yada. All that other crap that they applied to the Charger and the Challenger to keep it going over the years could have been on the Magnum. And we could have lusted after that, (laughs) uh, but we were never given a chance. So that seems like a sliding doors moment. Uh, That's kind of sad. Or hell, maybe they would have made some like T-Rex version and like done some like gnarly magnum like off-roader t-rex like that would have been cool too so it, it could have been better um have, did you ever drive a magnum i mean you have a charger so. yeah i mean basically i never actually drove a magnum per se i do 
I have driven its LX brethren, though. Let's put it that way. Um, I always liked the Magnum a lot. I think there was a lot of things to... It was just so meat and potatoes, you know, it was the muscle car before we got the actual muscle cars. So uh, you got to give, what was it back then? Daimler Chrysler credit for doing it. You know, it was built in Brampton, Ontario, if I recall, right? Hell yeah. It, it uh, you know, frankly, you know, it would fit in pretty well right now with everything crossovery. That would mm -hmm. be a wagon that might have an audience. So, uh, I mean, wouldn't that be a hell of a thing, right? So they're, the Charger Daytona is expected to be revealed March 5th, as we reported. And it looks like it's going to be two doors. We don't know what they're doing with the Challenger. I mean, wouldn't that be just the greatest thing ever to see the Magnum come back from the dead? Yes, that would okay. be cool. Why there not? Do it. They there could raise it inherently. Whatever. That's fine. Mm -hmm. just, that would be fun. Um, yeah. So otherwise, speaking of Subaru, did put the WRX wagon on here, there of which go. there was only one. Deep cut. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it's funny because when that came out, it had the, the, the bug eye one, right? And I remember thinking, ugh, that is ugly. And a lot of people thought, ugh, that's ugly. And they redesigned it twice. Mm -hmm. So like first, like this utterly milquetoast forgettable one, which I guess ugh wasn't ugly, but it was kind of blah. And then it put the weird like... The, the other, the weird nose, kind of mm -hmm. uh, B4 or Tribeca. The Tribeca the nose, B9 yeah. Tribeca. Um, but looking back, the bug eye one isn't as objectionable anymore. And it it's what belongs on the car. I, I don't know what you think. Like it's, I, I think. Yeah. It, the bug eye one of. was more of that time. Whereas sort of shoehorning that kind of like vent whatever thing they were going for on didn't it never seemed like a real fit and they also i think overreacted to some of the negative um you know emotions stirred up by that you know the bug-eyed one and then they they went super conservative and frankly they did something which wasn't very subaru which was stick with their design you know they were kind of you know swaying you know with public opinion there for a while mm -hmm. so but i mean that that wagon when i think of like the first wrx i think of the wagon because mm -hmm. it was cool. And even that, oh, yeah. that's like a really nice looking wagon design. Um, but that was it. It went hatchback mm -hmm. thereafter, um, which seems, which, which always seemed weird to me, given that like they had the outback. So they had like the wagon thing going for them. They could sell wagons and then they abandoned the wagon in favor of a hatchback, which just didn't work as well. I guess the Crosstrek eventually became of it, but the early Outback Sport was not was not what the Crosstrek is. It's it's totally different. Um, but yeah, it's kind of sad that that was the the first and only WRX wagon. And I think it's kind of like WRX was never the same after that. I, I don't think it was ever as appealing, including the one you have. Well, that's a hot take. I feel like in some ways you could write that without having driven the car. Yeah, I mean, that said, I didn't really enjoy driving it. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay. It wasn't really, I don't think I fit in it very well. So, um, I mean, like I said, we're pretty open-minded with the long-term blog. I, we could lower the bar so much that you don't even have to drive the long-term <laughs> car. You could weigh in on something from 20 years ago. Yeah. So, okay. So this was something Jeremy and I, because Jeremy uh, was, when I was putting together, he raised the point that the WRX wagon spawned the Saab 92X. 
Wow. Do you, do you remember that? You would win some bar bets on that one. I do not. Oh, okay. So that, that was, that was like one of the lowest points. So that was when GM had to like, was trying to, trying to rescue Saab. I don't know what they were doing, but they like, that was when they created the nine, seven X out of a Chevy trailblazer, that horror show. And then, uh, they, they got Subaru to make a Saab version of the WRX and they called it the nine, two X admittedly and it was the wagon only and it did look better than all of the other wrx's that we just talked about but it was also really sad for saab like this is a car company that very proudly did its own thing and here it was a very sad bizarre badge engineering thing and like when you have two of the quirkiest car makers in Subaru and Saab there's no way you can make one be like the other it's just not going to work like so it it it, it was just kind of i don't know maybe it's i think it's quirky it's something that you could bring to Radwood someday when they expand it to the 2000s but uh Jim Halpert on the office owned one there's a that is some good trivia I yes. am going to definitely shop that around. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. I knew Saab. he did have a Saab, but I didn't know that's the one he owned. He had a Saab 92X, and when the kids come along, he gets an Outback. That I knew. So, that I knew. So, so you know, he, he, was like a, he was a Subaru guy, but kind of not. It was, it's interesting. Uh, the, 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 the car, the, the car uh, psychology of office characters becomes... I could probably tell you what a lot of those characters drove because you always saw the parking lot, right? And so uh, they they were consistent with the cars that were in the parking lot. And when you're a car person, you notice those things. That's true. That's true. The Chrysler uh, Pacifica convertible? Not Pacifica. What am I remembering? That Steve Carell drove. Oh, the the PT Cruiser. That replaced a Sebring. Because that was like, it was like, like it was a, it was a, um, it was a a kind of humiliating downgrade. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. And of course, Dwight's uh, Pontiac, was that a Trans Am or a yeah, Firebird? it was Trans Am. Trans Am. Okay. There we go. Mm-hmm. Some pretty good and office Andy, trivia there. Andy had the Xterra. That's right. And, I and like that. Prius. He had a Prius. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, Pam had the two-door Toyota Yaris. That's true. That's true. The, the Ford Aerostar of, uh, of uh, Meredith. That's true. I think, I think Stanley had a Chrysler 300. Think so. That sounds right. We did have. Oh, I'm blanking on this one now. I, it was a good one too. Yeah, it'll come to me when I'm watching this on uh, binge watching this on Peacock or something. I'll. Uh, this is gonna bug me. There was a good one that came up too. I digress. Yeah. Cars well, in the I office. Think, yeah, I, I think I'll just I'll just end because there's lots of cool wagons on here. But my final one would be the Volkswagen Passat W8. Mm, okay specifically with the manual maybe it's maybe this isn't cool at all but it is so bizarre that like that they did that like putting a w8 this newfangled w8 engine in a passat and then doing it in the wagon and then offering with a manual and not really making it that performance oriented it's just it's one of the strangest, what were they smoking, like seriously, cars of all time. 
and um, yeah, always deserves a mention whenever possible. That was actually, I thought, a pretty handsome looking for its time yeah. uh, wagon. That was kind of cool. The WA mm -hmm. part was definitely a head scratcher, but uh, looks like you could get one for about $11,000 on Haggerty. Well, you could. It looks like it's sold. Um, yeah, man. That's a uh, pop up. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's just uh, a bulletproof in terms of reliability. 270 horsepower. It's not bad for 2000 and five, three, somewhere in there. And I would say to riff on your list, CTS wagon, of course. I thought that was a spectacular design for the time period. Uh, the taillights were just awesome. You know, it really was almost like a throwback. And I also, I actually don't know if this is on your list. I've been trying to access your story through a CMS and it won't let me. Jaguar yeah, that's XF. that's because I'm in it. Well, it's funny. <laughs> it's supposed to let you preview it and it's not doing that. So. Yeah. You know, a bit of a WordPress fail there. Uh, but I like the Jaguar XF Sport Brake. I think that mm. is a very handsome vehicle. You can get one for yeah, about $30,000, give or take, give or take the miles. I can't really say if we were spending money, I would recommend that is a good investment, but it's a very good looking car. It was a good looking car. I didn't like it that much, though. How come? I didn't. Uh, the interior was not okay. nice. It was not nice, and it wasn't as distinctive. The original XF interior was really cool. Yeah. Like, you know, like you, you, the, 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 the start button pulsed like the beating heart of a cat, and then you mm -hmm. pressed it, and then, then the, the, shift, the rotary shifter rose into your hand, uh -huh. as opposed to just existing in this, like, this expanse of plastic. Mm -hmm. And it was distinctive. It was so totally different than, than both other Jaguars, and... Uh, everything else in the segment and the 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 second xf just became they really dialed back the distinctiveness um and i didn't think it was as good to drive either so i think that the the wagon although i'm i'm happy it exists and it looks pretty good as a wagon i the the base xf wasn't wasn't as good so i think i i i, I didn't include it for that purpose I will throw the Volvo V90 on there as well. I thought that was a very handsome vehicle. Yeah, you know that that's that's one thing with like the, the V90 and the cross country. I put the V60 Polestar engineered. That's a thinking man's choice, sure. On it because that one is like the plug-in hybrid. The only way to get the so the plug-in hybrid Volvo powertrains on like every 60 or 80 series thing, except for the wagons. Mm -hmm. And it's really right. unfortunate. Um, maybe just for people who like wagons, but they exist, right? And why wouldn't we want the plug-in hybrid? Yeah. Uh, but the only way to get it is this high-powered Polestar engineered $80,000 thing, which is cool, yeah. but its availability kind of sucks. That, that that's the only way to get the, the plug-in hybrid. But it is still pretty cool. Uh, it's one of the cars that is currently sold that is on the list. But obviously, in all those, the, I love the cross-country Volvos. Uh, whether they're cool, I don't know. <laughs> they're good. But. The V90, I believe, was another. After they launched it with the rest of the, the 90 platform, it became special order. And, mm -hmm. you know, they made it cross-country only. And, you know, I actually kind of liked the cross-country version as well, uh, just because it was kind of the best of both worlds. But it did seem like they kind of you know, skeezed up a pretty good design with those plastic wheel arches. It's like, oh, you got this beautiful Scandinavian design and 
then you're going to do that. So I like it higher. Okay. I, I think the V60 and V90 look better when they're a little elevated. Okay. All right. I, I kind of dig the raised wagon look. I'm kind of partial to it. Well, we do have an auto show that went on this week. We're coming to you. Uh, this podcast drops on Friday. The Chicago Auto Show is just wrapping up. Uh, not too many crazy reveals. You know, we're expecting the Kia Carnival and the updated K5 and some Nissan news. News editor Joel Stockstill is there. So obviously, you know, check out his Twitter feed and whatnot if you're, you know, listening to this podcast over the weekend. Obviously, we don't know if there's any surprises because we're talking about something that's happened in the past from the future, as we sometimes do on the podcast. I feel like I saw you at a Chicago auto show once. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, I ran into you at like the Ford stand or something. Yeah. I think we both generally like auto shows, at least what they used to be. Um, I mean, what do you think about auto shows? You think it just, it seems like the model is totally changed in a show like Chicago, which actually put up a couple of credible exhibitions, even in light of the pandemic. I mean, this year it seems quite quiet. So I don't know, man, what do you think this is going to hold for the future? The Chicago auto show has always been quiet, at least Mm -hmm. in my time, which is now substantial. Right. Um, and uh, not very important to the point that I went right when I was like I was like the junior staff member and yeah. uh, the other the other junior staff member would go and we went and honestly it was my favorite auto show oh yeah because for two reasons one because nothing was going on you still had all the PR people there so like unlike every other auto show you go to where the the brand representatives are running around and coordinating interviews and doing this and doing that and talking to the executive of whatever they're there and they have you have the ability to like chat with them which is good for reporting purposes and for you know just social chatting with people purposes um so like as an it was more like it was like this really great industry event and when i was coming up it was like really great to a lot of the people i met at those auto shows are still kind of like my contemporaries today i mean this was before i think i saw you last there but like it it was a really good and like experience even to this day i think the junior staff members are the ones that we like car company sent we don't have as we don't really have that we've had a lot of our staff we don't have like 25 year old Riswick uh, on staff. Um, but the other thing is, Chicago's huge, mm-hmm. like in terms of like the amount of cars that are on the floor. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was really useful to go there because you could, like, actually, as a journalist or as a car shopper, like, check out four different types of Grand Caravan, not just one. Mm-hmm. Or any, and then there was like commercial vehicles, like big, like cherry picker trucks and ambulances. And it was like really cool to see for people who were attending or just to gather. Hey, I haven't sat in the back of X. Let's, let's see that. Here's my opportunity to do that. And I have time because there's not a thing else really going on. Uh, you know, so I, I always enjoyed Chicago. Um, but yeah, they're, they're going away. I mean. I, clearly brands don't see a lot of value in them. A lot of brands don't see value in them from a, even from a consumer or a perspective anymore, specifically the luxury car makers. They don't see any value. They would rather just, I guess, bring you into their dealership, um, which I think is a loss for consumers 
because um, now you have to spend so much more time going between dealers. You can't just like walk around and get a quick taste for them. And perhaps that's exactly why luxury brands don't want you to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, I frankly covering the 2009 or eight Chicago Auto Show when I was uh, in my 20s, that was definitely a uh, junior web reporter. Uh, I think they called me senior web reporter, but I was the youngest guy on staff at Auto Week by about two decades. And that was the show I was covering. And uh, I mean, point I'm trying to make is Chicago, from a press perspective, this may be it. You know, it's like maybe they could do some interviews, hold some light attendance. Uh, but I mean, they also don't really have to because it's always been a big consumer show. In Chicago, you don't have to have Porsche there or all the luxury makers. They can still make some hay with, um, you know, being a big winter thing to do in Chicago. I think to a lesser extent, you'll see that in some other cities as well. Uh, I am surprised that automakers don't try to use these almost as like one-offs. You know, like Ford showed the Mustang in Detroit a couple of years ago. You know, you can still get a decent audience, you know, and maybe an auto show is a decent place to show something. I don't know what that might be. Maybe it's a special edition model, just something to generate buzz. But clearly the like the media model element of it has changed. But Chicago, it was always quiet, but it was always like sneaky good, I thought. Like looking back at some of the, uh, we have a list up on the site about some of the more significant reveals over there. Chicago always played second fiddle to Detroit in particular because it was like three weeks later. So there just was the major reveals were not there. But I went back and looked and I remember seeing the Taurus show. There was a, I think a 392 Charger there. Every work truck would get revealed in Chicago, not the other shows. Ford usually did something because they had the factory. And then my personal favorite Easter egg is I discovered the Transformer movie prop that was used as sideswipe was a Corvette Stingray, was showed in 2009. And people were like, what the hell is this? Did you just show the new Corvette? And they're like, well, actually, it's like a plastic, you know, prototype that doesn't even run. It's still pretty big news, you know? So in the past, Chicago did have some sort of, you know, press muscle and it, you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll be so wrong and like something will be blown up, but nah. I don't know. <laughs> Chicago was fun. It was useful. I wouldn't call it important. <laughs> yeah, it was you good know, for the, 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 the pizza and the whole. open bar, you know, and that was, those are the highlights. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's unfortunate because I mean, auto shows killed themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, they killed themselves by making it so insanely expensive uh, to, for manufacturers to participate mm -hmm. in them. And so when it no, so when the benefit of them was waning, mm -hmm. that cost really became ridiculous. And so they have no problem backing out. None. Especially when so much of their purpose. So like peeling back a little behind the scenes here, car, when a car is introduced at the auto show, we will receive information and usually photos a couple of days beforehand that we agree not to publish until a certain time when the, when the thing is revealed at the auto show or at an event 
usually the night before that auto show. At that event, the car company has you for a far longer than the 20 minutes. They can tell a more complete story, provide more information, provide more of a quote, brand experience than you can achieve shoehorned into onto a stage with music from Hyundai playing over there and the coffee bar from Volvo over there and like you control the experience more and it's cheaper than being in the auto show. So obviously it makes sense and you invite who you want to invite. They still invite a lot of people, but really the only people they have at their press conference are people that they didn't invite the night before. And frankly, they're not as important media. So why, how does that make sense, right? So it makes sense why they're dying. It's just unfortunate that they're doing because even though all those events are happening the night before, everyone's there at the same time. So if it was ever gonna rebound, we need something like Pebble Beach where you have other things happening and then the car brands are kind of on their own little islands or kind of the, the press is in a place at a same at a similar time. But even that, I don't know how. Pebble Beach has shown some shocking staying power the last few years. If you had to look at the most important reveals, Pebble Beach has had as many as any. You know, it's mm -hmm. like Pebble Beach sort of CES, kind of Detroit, depending on how much you weight like the F-150 and Mustang, one or two years LA, but it's just like the, the hierarchy is totally gone. And But to your point, Pebble Beach has been a, actually, though it's diminished, it's still been a pretty, I think, good model for how automakers can try to get their message out because you don't have to play pay for floor space at McCormick or Javits, you know, you're not paying those huge things. Now, Pebble Beach ain't cheap, let's put it that way, but you can sort of invite who you want to, to your golf course, get your yeah. thing out there, put the VP of design and the chief engineer, and away you go. And you probably get as much bang from your buck as you do with a, you know, a press conference and then a two week run in a large convention center in the downtown area. And having just been to CES, I, I mean, yeah, the car companies get like, you know, really, you know, they'll just show like the real techs, they'll, they'll lean into their more tech oriented stuff. But really, I mean, there's like Samsung showing stoves and vacuum cleaners, right? Name a car is more of a technology device than your stove, even though it has generative AI now and blah, 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 okay. But really a car, is just as any car now is just as valid, valid as a technology thing. And with CES, you don't just have you and me there. There's not just automotive media. Mm -hmm. There's like everybody from everywhere, all in Vegas, which has like the house, like the car, like the this capacity to expand itself should the car world be more there. The Detroit Auto Show definitely doesn't want that to happen because it's like a week later now. But frankly, I know some in the automotive media aren't too keen on CES because it is kind of crazy in terms of the scope. But I think as a way to still have an auto show, I think it has it makes more sense for the for the, the car companies and for us too because you can the the, the wider auto show um, the. You know, you can walk around, you can see, oh yeah, that that's those are those buttons from the Nissan Aria. That's the supplier who does that. 
cool. Yeah, there, there is some value to that. So I kind of, I, I could see that becoming more of a thing increasingly. I mean, hey, the Mustang, the original Mustang debuted at the, was it the 1964 World's Fair? So, I mean, you don't have to do it with a press conference. You can do it a lot of different ways. And, you yeah. know, so I think that's all the time we have. Um, thanks for hanging out, James. Any yeah. final thoughts? Any, is it dry February for you? I've been asking people their drinking recommendations. I, I did, they call it damp January, where you try to cut back a little bit. Um, but I, February is definitely involved a variety of beverages. So no, I don't know. definitely not, definitely not here. And the, the weather isn't doing much to, there you uh, go. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, again, that's five stars on Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you get the show, send us your spend my money's podcast at autoblog.com. Be safe out there and we'll see you next week. <laughs>